0: Rosen caught up with his deputy on a windowless corridor, illuminated by fluorescent strip lights. D.S. Bellwood, a tall black woman with braided hair drawn tightly into a band at the back of her head, walked ahead of him. Rosen noticed Bellwood wore a sweat-stained T-shirt, jogging bottoms, and trainers beneath her raincoat. She'd been working out in the gym when he'd put through the action station's call. "'Are his mum and dad here?' asked Rosen." He dreaded what awaited them, and was filled with sadness and fear for them. Their shared life as parents was irreparably and horrifically changed. Not yet, Rosen and Bellwood exchanged a glance of recognition. In a living nightmare, it was their job to orchestrate order from chaos as quickly as they could. You want me to go to the scene now that you've arrived? asked Bellwood, to the point and as businesslike as ever. "'Gold and Corrigan are already there. Feldman's in charge,' she nodded. "'Good. The three core members of Rosen's M.I.T.' Rosen felt short of breath, and his chest was tight. Twenty-three minutes earlier, he'd been in the kitchen of his home in Islington, bottle-feeding his sleep-resisting son. Now he rushed towards nine-year-old Thomas Glass, who'd been missing from his home for eight days. "'What's the word from Bannerman Square?' asked Bellwood. Rosen thought he heard footsteps following them, but when he looked over his shoulder, there was no one there. His voice dropped a notch. Corrigan's working with scientific support. Stevie Jensen's in Gold's car. Gold's talking to him. Corrigan, great with finding and handling evidence. Gold, a people person, taking care of the witness. Stevie Jensen? asked Bellwood. The teenager who called the paramedics, the profs orchestrating the rest of the troops. Bellwood had nicknamed D.S. Feldman the Prof because of his ability to concentrate for hours and retain information photographically. The nickname had stuck, and Feldman liked it. At the ITU, they met a female nurse, a beefy blonde in a bottle-green NHS uniform. To Rosen, she looked like the bouncer at the door of a low-rent nightclub. "'I'm DCI Rosen, and this is DS Carol Bellwood. We're—' "'You're here about Thomas Glass?' interrupted the nurse, whose ID badge read Stephanie Jones, and whose picture whispered time had been tough on her. "'Is he still able to speak?' Rosen asked. "'He's fully bandaged and under heavy sedation.' "'Stephanie?' Bellwood said softly, and the nurse turned to look her way. Did Thomas say anything when he was brought into the unit? No, he was ventilated. Rosen saw Bellwood's shoulders sink and felt the dead weight of her disappointment. Can I see him? asked Rosen. Please. She looked hard at him. You can see him through the glass partition. Follow me. They arrived at a window in the resuscitation unit. Lying on the bed... Ventilated and bandaged was the missing boy. On either side of him, a ward sister and doctor were involved in calm but focused discussion. Rosen took a deep breath and scraped the barrel of his inner grit. Stephanie, did the paramedics tell you what happened when they arrived at Bannerman Square? It was straight into ATLS scenario, she replied. ATLS scenario? asked Bellwood. "'Advanced trauma life support. Checked his airway, read raw. Got him on the spinal board into the ambulance. They ventilated him. They got what was left of his clothes off him and saw he had sixty percent full thickness burns. The boy's fluid balance was wrecked, so they hydrated him with a line into his left arm and wrapped him in cling film to stop him leaking to death. Then it was morphine and back here. He's got a thirty percent chance of living. Not good.' "'With rising sorrow, Rosen looked through the glass.' The probability was that Thomas's mother and father were about to face the most profound fear of all parents, and it was a fear that Rosen knew first hand. The memory of his daughter's cot death eight years earlier was made fresh by the sight of the young boy. For a moment, he was frozen by terror, sorrow, and devastating loss. His mind turned to his wife Sarah on that terrible night, and the indelible image in his mind. The look in her eyes as she held Hannah in her arms. The moment she said, She's dead.